Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. Last week we started a sermon series through the book of Acts called The Spirit in You. That's the dirty little secret of the book of Acts. If you know and love Jesus Christ, we're gonna find out all through this book that Jesus is still ministering in the world. Even though he ascended into heaven and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, he is still working in the world. And the scary news for you, if you're a Christian, is that he's doing it in you and through you. So that's kind of, we've got 28 chapters of that. Now, hermeneutic question, basic Bible study question. If the Bible kind of sort of maybe says something once and lots of theologians fight over it, can you build a whole doctrine on that? You can, you just shouldn't. If something is said five times in Scripture and it's pretty clear and, and theologians are not fighting, they feel like there's, is that stronger? Yes. What if it's said 150 times? Okay. We're going to see 28 straight chapters of Jesus saying, extrapolating what he had already said, you will do greater things than this. Even the fact that the New Testament interchangeably says the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Christ ought to tell us something. The Holy Spirit inside the saint is every drop of Jesus in us, working through us to love and bless the world and proclaim fearlessly his cross and his empty tomb. So again, as I've said now a few weeks, that's the bad news. The griping and moaning and complaining that somebody else ought to do something is just gonna get crucified in this series. It's, it's actually, hey, if the Holy Spirit of the living God knows nothing of defeat, if he's always victorious, if he is all powerful and he is in you, then where do the excuses go? Right? Even if you're like, yeah, but I'm a sinner. And like, yeah, Jesus is working on that though. If you are a Christian, you love people from time to time. You love people the way God loves them because the spirit is in you doing stuff. We've seen it. We're like, man, that, I know how selfish I am, but I just said something or I just did something. That was divine. That wasn't me. It, it's like he's in me doing something. So today's sermon, still doing and still teaching. Jesus may have ascended into heaven to intercede for us at the right hand of the Father, but because of his sending of the Holy Spirit, we're gonna find out he is still doing in the world. He's still teaching in the world. He's doing it through us. So let's enjoy the text together, page 905. First three verses of the book. This is our brother Luke writing. He was a first century doctor. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Oh, Lord Jesus, please teach us the scriptures by your Holy Spirit. Give us wisdom so that we have insight, but especially, Lord, help us to have a proper fear and respect of you and what you intend to do in us and through us. Jesus, for those of us who don't yet worship, we're, we're 
trying to figure out what we think of Christianity. Help us to see today for the first time who Jesus is and what he's doing amongst Christians and especially what he's doing with darkness in the world. Help us to see it by your mercy. In the great name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Go ahead and introduce yourself to a couple of people sitting closest to you. We're about to do a discussion question. So go ahead and say hi to a couple of people. Tell them your name. They forgot it. <laughs> okay. We're about to spend an entire, at least one sermon going in the opposite direction of this, so I want to do a little deconstruction first. What are some things Jesus did while on earth? And if you're new to church, please just feel free to take a pass. It is totally okay. Maybe you never read the Bible before. Just take a pass. If you've read the Bible before, some of you have been reading it longer than I've been alive. What are some things Jesus did while on earth that Christians today cannot do? I'm, you're gonna talk about it with your group. That's why you just said hi to them. So I'm gonna give you 90 seconds. Go ahead and talk with your friends you just made and answer this question together. All right. Go ahead and grab your pen. Now that we've deduced a couple of things that Christians cannot do, we're gonna do the scary part. The scary part is gonna be an entire series of all the things that we can. I hope you said we can't save people because if you went to the cross, it's not gonna work, amen? There are other answers, but that's probably the most important one. Do Christians point to themselves or do they point to Jesus? Just wanna be clear on that one, okay. Grab your pens. First point, Christians are the hands and voice of Jesus until he returns. Did you know that's what you were signing up for? If you're exploring faith, this is what you're potentially signing up for. The Jesus playing the role of savior means that he dies on the cross to wash away your sins and playing the role of Lord means what? My thoughts, words, passions, and actions belong to him. And by the way, gladly so. If it scares you to not be in control of your life, just tap the Christian on the shoulder next to you and he or she will let you know, oh, I, I tried running my life. It didn't work. <laughs> That's why I'm a Christian. <laughs> totally didn't work. Christians are the hands and voice it is super popular. We talk about it. We sing about it to talk about hands and feet. But we are going to see all throughout the book of Acts an entirely broader structure. Hands, the actions of Jesus, the works of Jesus, yes. But voice, the verbally proclaimed gospel is going out through the book of Acts paired with acts of service, uh, miracles. This is a continuation. We see Jesus all the time. Uh, John 6 is probably the best example. Um, John 6, Jesus feeds 15 to 20,000 people out of a kid's lunchbox. I say that because the Bible says 5,000, but they only counted adult men, right? 15 to 20,000 people. Not that it's any more of a miracle. 5,000 with one lunchbox is still a miracle, okay? And then the next day, there are even bigger crowds, and Jesus says, you guys came here because I fed you. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part in me. 
And they go, this is a hard teaching. And he repeats himself. He's pointing to his cross, but they don't understand it. And then, I don't think coincidentally, because in the 11th century when scribes were putting in all the numbers into the Bible that didn't exist, what does John 6.6.6 say? At that point, many people turned and abandoned Jesus. I, I like that you fed me, but don't tell me that I have to depend on your cross. I want to be holy enough on my own. I want to be good enough on my own. And so Jesus uses good works, in his case, miraculously so, to draw the, to command the attention of people, right? And then once he has their attention, he says, look, you're not going to be reconciled to the Father unless I die for you. That's the message he proclaimed, and he did it because he had gathered a crowd through good works. So again, mercy ministries are not merciful, if we send you away with a full stomach and do nothing for your soul, there's nothing merciful about that. Does that make sense? And I'm not, I'm not necessarily talking about sing for your supper either because we're, like a lot of cultures, deeply relational. We need to have the long game in mind some of the time. All throughout the book of Acts, for example, uh, Acts 4, the Sanhedrin are trying to tell uh, John and Peter not to preach in the name of Jesus. And they say, we cannot help but proclaim what we have seen and heard. Seen, the works of Jesus. Heard, the message of who Jesus is. These go together. The gospel is a verbal message and we get to proclaim it because of good works and compassion and mercy in our city and in our world. The compassion draws people's attention. It, it smells different. Wait, why is somebody serving me? Why is somebody loving me? I didn't expect this. I am a Jew. I've been beaten on the Jericho Road and this Samaritan is helping me. What's going on? What's going on? So here's the Kaiser tribe. Something special about having a nine and a half year gap between your firstborn and your secondborn is that they don't really relate to each other like siblings. What actually happens is that Cabrina becomes this de facto extension of mom and dad. She knows the rules of the home. She knows the goals of where we're trying to go in the raising of our kids. And she's heard us over and over again how we address certain behavior. Abby steals Gabriel's toy. Gabriel hits Abby. It's a tale as old as time. But Cabrina, over and over, has not just seen their interaction, she's seen how mom and dad respond. So if mom or dad isn't in the room, she can and will, hey, we do not hit in our family. You don't get sit by the door. What do you need to do? And you know, even the discussion, I've heard Cabrina do a great job. Abby stealing your toy doesn't make it right for you to hit her, right? How many grown-ups could really learn that? Like, our sins are not justified by the sins of others. <laughs> Even the grown-ups still need to learn that one. Cabrina is the hands and voice of dad until he comes down the hall and returns. Our father is away. He 
the grape vineyard, right? Okay, he sends prophets, we kill him. He finally sends Jesus, we kill him too, right? He owns the whole world, he owns our life. He has told us how human flourishing is gonna happen through his laws and his commands that are supposed to be sweet and beautiful. And the prophetic ministry is telling people what God has said. The prophetic ministry, before getting to speak sometimes, is signs. We, we, don't, we don't think of this a lot because we don't spend tons of time in the minor prophets. A lot of the prophets used physical symbols like a belt or, and, they, and they showed people a physical symbol and said, this is what God is about to do. There were actions and then there were words that went together to form the prophetic ministry. This is what God desires in your life. This is how he wants greater joy. This is what he wants you to walk away from sin. And the church, we are not Jesus. We are his hands and feet and his voice. We are, it's a, it's a sacred trust. I'm not Jesus. I'm not morally perfect, but I do actually speak for him so long as my words are lined up with scripture. I do actually speak for him. That should terrify me, not you. Speaking for God, better get that one right. Scripture says not many of us should aspire to be teachers. We're gonna be judged more strictly. Yikes. Here's some examples of being both the hands and the voice of Christ. Does Jesus go to your place of work or do you? Right, it's a trick question. If you love Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is inside you, God goes to work every day in you. You've got relationships that perhaps you might be the only Christian in that person's life. You're the only interaction between the Holy Spirit and them until and unless the Holy Spirit is doing something special and specific in that person's life. What about your marriage? Does your spouse want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Or do they want you in your natural state? Right? Your singleness. Paul said extensively how beautiful and powerful his singleness was because he didn't have divided loyalty. Jesus himself, the greatest human being, most complete human being who ever walked the earth was single. Does that singleness, are you filled with the Holy Spirit and does that singleness glorify God? Are you the hands of Jesus in your singleness? Are you the voice of Jesus in your singleness? Your civics, your interactions with culture around you. I think we're particularly lousy at this one because we're allowing, we're allowing the media to think that everything is right and left instead of right and wrong, right? If God Almighty has spoken into it, the political parties don't get to claim it as their own. Does that make sense? If God Almighty says, you will not murder, then none of the political parties get to say they're the pro-murder or the anti-murder party. It's not yours. It's just not yours. Your classmates, your grandkids, your friendships, these are opportunities to be the hands of Jesus and to be the voice of Jesus. Our fourth vision statement says this, we see Jesus leading us to become the hub of compassion in Citrus Heights. 
That's hands and that's voice. True compassion, I'm going to serve you and I'll tell you about the one who has served you far better. His name is Jesus. We Heart Citrus Heights is a brand, an image that your leaders are using to communicate what I grew up calling local missions. When I'm going to serve you, love you, care for you, and I don't have to learn a new language, I don't have to get on a plane, I only have to cross the street, or maybe you're in the cubicle next to me, or my sister who lives down the road. Your leaders right now are thinking and praying Lord, how, what do you want our missional footprint to look like in Citrus Heights? I've talked, now I think with all of the elders and I, most of the staff, we are thinking and we are praying. And what I'm asking the Lord for is not just wisdom from his Holy Spirit, which will point us in the right direction of what ministries we should be starting, some ministries that already exist that we're gonna throw a little bit of kerosene on. If you're wondering what, what local missions, think, think of Kairos, for example. We don't need to start a new chapter of Kairos. We've got one going. Maybe just throw a little kerosene on that thing, okay? So don't be shocked when your leaders, in short order, in the next month or two perhaps, are asking you to go to prison, okay? It's harder. If you talk with Wayne and say what's required, it's harder and it's slower. If you just go ahead and commit a crime, you'll get there faster, but you'll have to stay longer. So I highly encourage you to talk to Wayne. Um, there are a lot of ways that we who love Jesus can be the hands and the voice of Jesus Christ in our city. We, we gotta ask ourselves one question. Actually, I, I, this wasn't in the notes, but if God in his sovereignty allowed us to buy this plot of land in the early 60s and build on it and do ministry here, do you think that God wants us to do anything to serve the people of Citrus Heights? Yeah, absolutely. Do you think God is really bent out of shape that we are not currently reaching folks in Vancouver, Washington? Is he smart enough to put Christians in Vancouver, Washington? Okay. When you can find a city or a town where there is no presence of the gospel, you... you Put a, you put a church there, okay? And it happens one uh, life at a time. When you get to a um, Christian-dominated or post-Christian, post the West is now becoming increasingly post-Christian culture, there are churches everywhere, but the gospel it doesn't seem to be everywhere. And so we've got to start asking ourselves, how can we be the hands of Jesus? How can we be the voice of Jesus? And we don't even need to go anywhere. There are churches on a lot of streets and still tons of folks that we care deeply about that God loves even more that don't know Jesus yet. Um, so because of this and what we're working on right now, your next step, I'm gonna ask you to pray for your leaders and get ready to say yes. Pray for your leaders and get ready to say yes. There are a lot of examples in scripture of people whose hearts are soft, hearts that want to love and honor God, that they say yes faster than God can get the question out. And I want to be, man, it's, it's so tempting. I'll just speak for, for myself, but I think for staff and maybe for elders, it is so tempting when you're running a nonprofit to think of all the internal ministries. We need more people for this. We need more people. And yet the church exists 
for God's glory in the lives of people who don't yet know Jesus, not simply for the internal discipleship ministries we do here. I hope that we get us to a place where if you call foundation home, you absolutely, without a doubt, you're going to have a ministry that you're deeply devoted to that is outside of this church. Or maybe you're the only Christian that shows up in whatever room it is, whatever space, hobby, exercise, group, book club, serving a group that isn't getting served. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit right now to prepare your heart to say yes before you even know what God's gonna ask you to do. Because if I need all of the details, I haven't surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. That's actually the truth. I'm I'm just kind of confessing my own sins here. I want to know all the details. And our God says, tell the priests to walk into the Jordan. Their feet are gonna get wet. Then I'll stop the river and you guys can walk across. Or like, I don't know, Peter hopping out of the boat. Second, Christians cannot teach God's word rightly apart from the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? We cannot do it. And this is why asking the Holy Spirit for his filling and for his leadership is mission critical. Look at verse two. Until the day he, Jesus, was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. Tough question for you. Here we go. If the second person of the Trinity who has never sinned, if he is filled with the Holy Spirit at the start of his ministry, right? Matthew 3, Father speaking from heaven, Spirit descending like a dove, and the Spirit is in him and working through him, and his entire teaching ministry is Spirit-filled, why do you and I think that we can point people toward Jesus apart from the Holy Spirit's filling? It's not gonna work. It's just not gonna work. So uh, from 2013 to 2017, I was a realtor and we had a mandatory training twice a year where we sat in this very large room and had a real estate attorney, which thankfully he was funny because man, talk about dry material. (laughs) And he would uh, train us for a couple of hours talking about case studies of different things in California's real estate that had gone to court. So even though it was mandatory, we're kind of excited to show up because if it went all the way to a courtroom, something peculiar happened or something exciting happened, right? So I don't know how long ago it was and I don't know where in the state it was, but um, there was a couple that were retiring early. They had done well for themselves. I think they were in their early 50s or whatever. And they bought some land here in California and they hired an architect to draw up their dream home, this perfect, everything they've ever wanted. And they find a contractor that they're comfortable with. And and I guess they lived in a different part of the state or whatever, because they were not physically on site. And so construction takes about six months or so. And um, at some point, I don't know how it came out, but they said, hey, you can come You can come check it out now. They come to look at the house and they drive to their property 
and there is an empty plot of land. But next door, about 500 feet over, was their house on somebody else's land. And the contractor's going, why are you guys over there? And I said, because this is our land. That's not our land. Yeah, uh-oh is right. So there were two things that California law had to decide. First, when somebody builds a house on your land without your permission, is it yours? Is it a gift? And they decided yes. So somebody got a free house. And then secondly, probably bigger, is the contractor still on the hook to create that house for the dollar amount? Yes, yes. So that contractor was in a world of hurt to build. But hey, they had practice. They've done it once before. Um, do you want to spend weeks or months or years putting your energy and your sweat and your money into the wrong project? I don't. I do not want to close my eyes on this side of eternity only to find out that I've climbed a ladder and the ladder was leaning against the wrong building. Brothers and sisters, we say stupid stuff from our flesh. We say and do self-centered things from our flesh. We pursue money, we pursue comfort, we pursue the acceptance of others. In a world where between God and Satan, the real war is truth and lies, that's the real war. Not culture, not bullets, it's truth and lies. We will always and consistently face the temptation to rely on self and when we rely on self and somebody asks us a Bible question, our child, our grandchild, we're teaching Sunday school, we're preaching, we will say stupid things while we are relying on ourselves and then trying to represent Christ. We'll say self-centered things, we'll say self-serving things. A few examples in scripture. Saul is supposed to wait for Samuel and allow Samuel to offer the sacrifices, but Saul is more afraid of an enemy army than he is of his creator. Or Peter rebuking Jesus. That's not your best day, right? When you're telling God, no, God, you're getting it wrong. Especially when God said the most important thing ever, I'm gonna die for the sins of my people. That's not a good moment. Or, what we're gonna come up to in a number of weeks in Acts 19. Seven devout Jews, not filled with the Holy Spirit, know nothing about Jesus other than that by this name, demons obey. And so they try to cast out a demon. They say verbally, in the name of Jesus, Paul's God, come out of the man. <laughs> and instead of the demon obeying, he asks some questions, which isn't a good sign. If you've seen the movie, this is right before the head spins around and the projectile vomit. He says, we know Jesus and we'd heard of Paul, but who are you? 
Brothers and sisters, when the Holy Spirit is not inside you and you try to do ministry, demons will laugh. There's nothing to be afraid of. Greg Kaiser doesn't terrify the darkness. The Holy Spirit in Greg terrifies the darkness. So your next step, ask the Holy Spirit to fill you every single day. You don't get to choose when teachable moments happen. Some of you guys are raising kids and you know kids are uh, Olympic gold medalists at asking questions at the most random times. I said to take off your diaper, why are we here? Ah, okay, fine. I'll change your diaper while we talk about this, okay. Who here has had a God conversation with a coworker and you absolutely did not see that one coming? It just came. Who here has had a God conversation with a family member and you absolutely did not see it coming? It just came. Okay. We need to be filled with the spirit of the living God every single day because these conversations are gonna come up. Brothers and sisters, I don't wanna say something stupid. I don't wanna say something man-centered. I don't wanna say something self-serving. We don't get to choose when the teachable moments come and this is why we desperately need him every single day. Third, for you note takers, you know Jesus doesn't avoid our doubts, he meets us in them. Oh, does he love you? Jesus doesn't avoid our doubts. He meets us in them. Look at verse three. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, lambasting them and berating them because they didn't believe. Did I read it right? Mm, eyes down. You're not gonna know. Did I read it right? And he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. How merciful and how kind. Does that sound like Jesus? He knows how to rebuke us when he needs to rebuke us. Back at the, in Acts 24, he, he called us foolish when we weren't connecting the dots together. Why? Because it's true, we were foolish. But he's still showing himself over and over again as risen. He is with compassion in his voice going, put your fingers in my hands. Is that crazy? In. There's a severe dent there. Put your, feel my side. Look at my feet. Guys, 2,000 years later, Jesus hasn't gotten a chip on his shoulder all of a sudden where he's no longer comfortable with your doubts or with mine. That didn't happen. If you have a daughter who doesn't know how to swim and you've got the cute little floaties on her, and she's got her little mermaid one piece on and a ponytail and it's just adorable upon adorable. Does dad take it personal when he says he's standing in three and a half feet of water, this is nothing for him. Sweetie, jump in, I'll catch you. When she is nervous at the edge of the pool, does dad take personal offense? I've got a no, a no, a no. No. Well, isn't her faith faltering right now? Isn't she doubting his power and his love? Right? Dad has tremendous power. His feet are right there, planted at the bottom. He knows how to swim anyway. He has all the resources he needs to make sure that she is safe. 
and he loves her more than life itself. So if she is doubting his power and doubting his love, how come he's not taking it personal? There are a bunch of reasons. Number one, it's not about him. He's secure in who he is. He knows who he is. He's not intimidated. Do you, you know God doesn't freak out when our faith is weak? Oh no, they don't believe in me. Guys, let's all go back to Peter Pan. Save Tink, save Tink, clap, clap, right? Every kid in the 1960s, clapping to bring Tinkerbell back to life. Was that, no, I was the only one. They played it again in the 90s. That's why I'm with you. If Tinkerbell lives because of my faith, if Santa only comes back to life and lives and the sleigh flies because of my elf, come on, somebody. If this deity needs me to believe in him or her, what a lousy deity we have. The self-existent God does not need my faith. He calls me toward faith because it's a blessing for me. My life gets better trusting Jesus. His life doesn't get better. He's already enthroned for all eternity. He's gonna be surrounded by people giving praise and honor and glory the way he deserves. See, he stands in the water calling us to jump in. Why? Because the water's great. He's calling his children toward the greatest possible joy that we can experience. So I wanna encourage you. Take your doubts and lay them at the foot of the cross. That's where your doubts belong. The cynicism of the age would have us believe that a doubt is an end all. Oh, I have a doubt, so my thought process stops. I'm gonna stop wrestling with that. No, you just made that doubt God. You just elevated it. I have a doubt and I won't go any farther. I won't think about it anymore. I won't pray about it. I won't talk with somebody else about it. I just made it deity. What if I already have a God? Or what if I look at the life of Jesus and the way he treats people and I just wish he were God? What would it look like if I took my doubts and I put them at the feet of Jesus and walked away? What would that look like? So we did not do our elder-led prayer time earlier on purpose because we're gonna do it now. If we've got a band member who would help us out, I would appreciate that very much. We have some post-it notes here at the front and some markers. And I wanna encourage you because your name is not going on this. I want you to be super honest with God and with yourself. I invite you to come forward and no, you do not need to just write one. You can write more than one. I want you to take your doubts. It does not matter if you've been in church since three days after you were born. Sometimes we think, oh, I've been in church a long time. I'm not allowed to have doubts. All my doubts should be gone by now. That is Satan speaking to you. He's a liar. Jesus loves you. He is not intimidated or offended by your doubts and he would love to take your doubts and serve you just like he did in verse three. He would like to show himself to you afresh. So that's what we're gonna do. That's what we're gonna do right now. Then I want you to take them and we'll see if the sticky notes stick. I'm gonna take your doubts and put them on the cross. If they don't stick, we'll put them here at the foot of the cross.
Take as long as you need. Talk to Jesus while you're doing it. This is just a symbol. There's nothing holy about it. It's a symbol of what is going on spiritually. God, this is where I'm struggling to trust you. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. So we're going to spend some time doing this. And when it sounds, seems like everybody's had a chance to participate who wants to, uh, then I'll pray for us and we'll be dismissed. we thank you and we praise you for having broad shoulders. We thank you not only that you love us, but that you're strong enough, that your cross mattered, strong enough to walk out of your own grave. We thank you that you absolutely know who you are. You proved it when Satan came to you saying, if you really are the son of God, but you knew who you were then and you know who you are now, so you're not intimidated by our weak faith. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for revealing yourself to us through scripture. We thank you, God, that you spent 40 days showing yourself alive to our brothers and sisters in Christ who were in Palestine 2,000 years ago, that they would write down their testimonies that we could read and we could also believe. Holy Spirit, we ask you for your filling because we do not want to do life or ministry apart from you. Only you can lead us to glorify Jesus and glorify the Father rightly. So make us a people who are more and more like you for your glory, for the blessing of our city and our world, and for our joy. We ask these things in the precious and strong name of Jesus and God's people said, amen. Love you guys very much. Go have a great week being the hands and voice of Jesus Christ.